Welcome to On Strategy Showcase. This is Ferguson, Chicago. As always, you can see all of our shows and the creative associated with them and also connect with our guests on our website, onstrategyshowcase.com, or you can connect with me on LinkedIn. Today's case is a case that is rooted in diversity and inclusion business challenge that was faced by many brands back in 2020, including today's guest, which is Uncle Ben's Rice. Uh, you may remember back when brands such as Aunt uh, Jemima, Mrs. Butterworth's, uh, Lando Lakes, and other brands uh, had uh, made changes to their packaging, to their naming, to their messaging back in, uh, I think, I think most of these happened in the same year, which was 2020. Similar to others, uh, Uncle Ben's was criticized for its packaging imagery and its sort of its brand name. The depiction of Uncle Ben as a black man in a maitre d' outfit on the front of the packaging had led many activists to criticize the brand, along with the uh, use of the term uncle in its name. And like other terms, uncle uh, is considered a sort of a repressive term in most of modern society and in particular in the African-American community. And so there was definitely a strategic challenge that's faced by the business. But I wanted to point out that this isn't really an episode about the issue of diversity and inclusion. The actual strategic challenge of changing the name and the research and so much of the due diligence that went into that decision had been completed by the time this episode starts. This episode focuses on the application of that decision for packaging and brand identity, the application of that into a marketing campaign to launch, relaunch the brand in both in terms of its visual identity and in terms of its broader brand platform. And that's what I loved about this case. I think it is uh, one of the best written uh, strategies in, in terms of the language of strategy, that connective tissue between brand platform and that unlock from consumer research and from conversations between people. All of those things, I think, are just done wonderfully in this study, and I hope people will listen to this from beginning to end. One other thing I want to point out is that we do have an unlock moment in this episode, which is where I highlight what I think is the unlock moment for me in the interview and sort of exposes the strategy and why it matters. And I, I interrupt the interview in order to share that with you in advance of it. So this is Anya Spielman, Global Brand Director at Mars in London, and Oliver Egan, Strategy Partner at The End Partnership Worldwide, also in London. Enjoy. It's not lost on uh, any of us on this call that we are three white people talking about a case that's rooted in sort of cult cultural appropriation. So um, while, it would, while it's not ideal, I do feel as a strategist, and I can only speak for myself, that as strategists, I think that we are naturally curious, we are naturally open-minded. And I think that uh, as I've read through this case and I've seen the work, I'm of the opinion that uh, that it has done its due diligence to develop a, a terrific solution that I think, uh, arguably, and this is not from a from a um, a cultural appropriation point of view or the nature of the case, but this is probably one of the best written cases uh, that I've that I've read in an awful long time in terms of 
the um, of how this strategy is framed and how the pieces are brought together in language. And in strategy, language matters, and people, many in our in our world have talked about this. But the the way this all comes together and the language used to define it uh, is is really terrific. And I hope it'll become evident and people will agree uh, with that as we go through this conversation today. Um, but again, it's um, where we are. Um, we are three white people talking about this topic, guys. So uh, obviously, you're the ones who went through this. You led this. You had a had a broad team involved in this. And I think it's probably important as we go through this that we highlight that fact that this isn't just through the lens of the two people that I'm interviewing today, right? Absolutely. And I think that's that's the important part and you highlighted it very well. I mean, we are just a representation of a team that has worked behind it and we really um, looked into having a diverse group of people working with us uh, on this topic. Because to be very honest, if I... If I'm looking at myself, I learned a lot during this journey for, for myself, and I'm still learning um, a lot. But also when we created this case, it was really about involving as many um, people, um, views and different um, opinions. For example, we worked um, with government stakeholders, with the African-American Council within Mars. We had diverse agency teams. Uh, we worked with the National Urban League. So that, there was a lot of input and a lot of learning, personal learning we had to do on the journey. When we think about this brand, should we think about it as an international brand? are primarily uh, an American brand? It is an international brand. I mean, um, it hit the shelves in the 1940s, the first time in the US, but we are now present in over 80 countries around the world. So it is an international brand, but the big bulk would lie obviously also in the US of the, of the brand. It's also fair to say that, that the, the heart of the brand equity has been built in the US, and I think... Even in other markets around the world, that that sense of whilst it may not feel to everyone like it's an American brand, a lot of that equity is rooted in American culture and, and calls back to that. Let's talk about what the business challenge was, Anya. This this I believe uh, this this I believe came up a number of years ago, but it sort of resurfaced uh, in 2019, 2020. And can you tell us what what happened from inside the business's perspective? What um, what was the trigger that started this whole conversation? Look, we have been thinking about rebranding or potentially rebranding the brand since quite some time. But uh, when the global attention to the racial injustice after George Floyd's death in uh, 2020 happened, um, it was important for us and the discussion very much rooted around we want to be part of the solution and what's our role to play to do the right thing in that moment. And that was literally the kickoff point um, for what you see now, but it has been in discussion since quite some time in the business. And that's what's interesting to me because um, quite some time, as far as what I've read, is probably 10 plus years. Uh, I know that it was addressed originally in 2007, if, if what I'm reading is correct. And I'm curious, though, with with the murder of George George Floyd and sort of this sort of racial reckoning that was happening in the U.S. Was that something that was happening in other countries, um, or was it really based upon what was happening in the U.S. at that time? 
it definitely spilled into Europe. It was, yeah. you know, there were there were Black Lives Matter um, marches in London, and so you know, it was it was it was very present in our minds as we were thinking about this brief, but but you know, the brands that we work on in general. So, Anya, what what exactly was it that you guys felt you needed to change? Whilst it was never our intention, we found that the picture of the man on the packaging creates association of servitude. And also for some, especially in the US, the word uncle was at the time a pejorative title for black men. And these were the two things we wanted and we needed to address um, with the brand change. So it's my understanding that the picture of the man uh, who was Uncle Ben was actually a maitre d' from a Chicago restaurant in, 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 in 1946. But Uncle Ben's was actually named after a uh, an African American, um, a black rice farmer out of Houston, Texas. So it was all of that imagery, and uh, and ironically, your most distinctive brand asset um, that was um, in need of change, which is a huge factor, I would think, for a brand to recognize the possibility that it has to walk away from something that it is fundamentally rooted in. That must have been not just a, a, a great issue of responsibility for doing the right thing, but also a, a major, considered a major risk to the brand and to brand equity. Is that fair to say? Yes. I mean, it, obviously, every rebranding you do is always always a risk. I mean, in my career as marketer, I've done a couple of rebrandings. Some are better, some are less good. Um, but the moment you touch a brand, especially a love brand, an iconic brand that is more than 70 years on the market, there, there is some risk coming along. But um, I think that's where it was important to really have the listening exercise and really involve consumers in the way we change and how we change it. And what are the things that we absolutely cannot touch, for example, the orange packaging or the blue font um, that we absolutely could not touch? And what are the things we need to change in order to set up the brand for a really bright, purposeful future? What would you say were the... You know, were one or two key things, key learnings that came out of that name change discussion because there was this listening tour and there was obviously a, deci- a decision to change the name, a, a pretty huge step. Um, it was well executed, but uh, I'm sure along the way there were a lot of, lot of concerns. What were, what were maybe one or two big things that came out of the name change exercise that struck you the most? I think one of the big learnings was um, that we won't be able to make everybody happy. (laughs) And that's something you you have to live with. You can't uh, make everyone happy, but it was the right thing at the right moment uh, to do. And we knew that it was the right thing to do. So that's why it was very important um, to move forward fast. And the second thing was it will take time. I think that's something we... We, f- we forget, I mean, especially we marketers or agencies, we see the brand every day. For us mentally, this process is done very quickly because we get tired of seeing the new brand flag, the new name, the new packaging uh, versus for consumers. They go four times a year to the rice shelf. So obviously they see it much less. So it takes a much longer time. So if you would ask me personally, where are we with the rebranding? We are still at the beginning stage of the rebranding. Uh, we are not done at all because it, 
it's only in the market since roughly a year. So it means a consumer on average has seen it four times and four times is not enough to make a significant change. And also we have to keep our commitments up that we really put there with the purpose of offering everyone a seat at the table. And we have to prove that we mean it serious and that we walk the talk, which we are doing. But that takes also time uh, to show consumers we are walking the talk. I, I think there's, a, there's an interesting balance to be struck um, because on, on the one hand, and this, this goes back to, and one of your earlier questions focus about about walking away from a distinctive asset. On the one hand, you want to you want to create a, a rebrand where people almost don't notice the difference because the you know the the heuristics and the shorthands are the same, and when people are in the aisle, they reach for it and they don't necessarily notice a difference. And I think you know the the, the design team did a great job in terms of you know making it recognizably bend and, and and holding on to lots of that equity on the other hand you know to, to Anya's point what you want to do is is signal change and demonstrate that you know aside from aside from any associations um, around its heritage that we wanted to remove ourselves from there are also all, all sorts of opportunities to contemporize the brand and change how people think about it and that's the thing that really takes a long time. I'm sure there were there was a lot of conversation along the way about which components of the of the of the naming structure you could uh, you could remove and which ones needed to stay. I I would have thought that in the beginning there might have been the sense that gee we might need to get rid of the name Ben of Uncle Ben, but you smartly separated those two things and you you maintained the name. But you removed the image and you removed the sort of qualifier or the definition of uncle. So it's 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 gone from Uncle Ben's with the image of of who was a Frank Brown um, dressed in his Mater D outfit to now Ben's originals. How did tell us about briefly? Tell us about getting from A to B. Was there a lot of discussion that you guys can remember in terms of how you pull those components together? The bit that you noted, Fergus, in terms of separating the uncle from the Benz was super smart because I think to, to build on what Annie was saying around the quality, I think another thing which was really important was the was the heritage. You know, this was this was this was a brand with such longevity. And what I think is really smart about original is that it it, it nods to longevity, long, it, it nods to that sense of credibility and authenticity um, at the same time as you know, refreshing the brand and 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 bring bringing about change. Yeah, I think when you when we look back to that time, which which was roughly in, in twenty twenty, there were a number of big brands that went through the same process that you guys did, or I went through it for similar reasons and, and came out with different outputs. But it, it was brands like Cream of Wheat, it was Mrs. Butterworth. It in sports, it was here, here stateside. It was the Washington Redskins. There's been many, uh, many different brands, and, and Jemima are some of them the better known ones. Um, but a lot of this was motivated by activism, and I think um, having gone through crises of different kinds with with different brands myself, there's always the um, the activist angle that gets the attention. Um, and they have a very different agenda than than sort of others. Now, what I was intrigued by was you guys almost came out with a segmentation structure that sort of nodded to this. And, and I think to what Anya just said was, you were also looking at this as an opportunity to address sort of perceptions around the quality of the product, not just to what it signaled. 
as a brand name. But tell us about how you balanced pleasing the activist with sort of um, uh, also pleasing the long-term viability of the product as a quality product for those who are not so activist about this topic. As you will be aware, it was a very it was a very polarized debate, and it was a very emotional debate. And and essentially, um, you know, as I said, Benz, along with some of the other brands that you've mentioned, had become a little bit of a lightning rod in that debate. And there was there was a lot of attention on it. And what we needed to do to your to your point about segmentation, we needed to understand where people were in that debate. And what we saw was, you know, two very vocal minorities. One one very vocal minority who wanted to see change and 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 wanted wanted the the you know brand to be completely changed, if not, you know, removed. Yes. At the other, at the other end of the spectrum. Um, we had, and, and, and perhaps in reaction to that, we had people who didn't want any change at all. And, and what we had to do was recognise those vocal minorities without forgetting the quieter majority whose primary motivation was about quality, convenient rights. And so what we needed to do was do justice to, to the changes that the brand was making and do justice to the new brand purpose whilst also not forgetting that, you know, the primary motivations for people actually buying the rice. And, and that's what ultimately informed, informed the brief or informed the balance that we needed to strike as we were, as we were executing it. So I'm curious, um, Oliver, when you, when you look at what um, the point where you came in, you, you were saying that the, in essence, the branding, the rebranding in terms of the naming structure was already in place. Maybe the packaging was already in place. What was then the ask of you and the agency uh, from the client? Yeah, so 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 the, the new brand purpose, giving everyone a seat at the table, existed, and 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 the new and the new brand name and and, and packaging existed. And our task was was really to to do justice to that, to shine a spotlight on that, but to do it in a way where we could where we could showcase the new direction and new brand purpose without forgetting. You know the, the the primary motivations of of rice buyers, and so it became it, it, it became an exercise in executing kind of sensitively and authentically. And I and I'm conscious as I say authentically that authenticity becomes a real buzzword when you're thinking about marketing execution, particularly in this sort of space. But when I when I say authenticity, what I really mean is avoiding tokenism and avoiding the tropes of of kind of brand purpose advertising and creating something that 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 people could relate to and and not be cynical about and and we put a lot of work into that and and I think ultimately you know that that paid off Oliver the, the this uh, this purpose statement comes in as part of this sort of um, um, new identity. Uh, what do you then? What do you then do as an agency what, and as a planner? What, what, tell us about what you began to do activities-wise. Well, I mean, it, it was an interesting one because because as as a thought, you know, Ben's original offers everyone a seat at the table. It's it's quite directional, and yet. Um, it, to, to, to your point about purpose, it leads you down a road where you're suddenly very focused on executing um, inclusion. 
And what we needed to do was find a way to do justice to, to that purpose and justice to that thought and ensure that, that Ben's was a brand which celebrates diversity, equity and inclusion, but that balanced it with the, with the needs and the motivations of, of rice buyers. So what, what we actually did, and you know, we were, we were very helped by um, the, the Mars human intelligence team, was really dug into you know, what it is that, that people need when they buy rice and why they buy rice and how they eat it and how they serve it. And, and that became very interesting because we learned all sorts of things around, you know, the, the, the way in which rice is, is foundational to so many cuisines and, and is, is within so many people's repertoires and is, and, is, and is often so unique to them in terms of the way that they use it. So this was the point when everything unlocked for me. It's where the name change and the decision to use originals to replace uncle in the brand name becomes clear. And as we're about to hear, that clarity came from a conversation between the two planners working on the business. And that later led to the brilliant line that you'll inevitably hear from the creative director. And all of this pulls together everything, all of the components. So the product truth, which we've heard some, a little bit about to date in the, in the interview, uh, it pulls that together to the strategy, to the brand platform and to the creative work. So this for me was the moment uh, when everything started to unlock. The name change, you know, it, it may sound obvious, but the name change was so fundamental. I, I looked at it with um, Alex Dobson, who, who's in my team, who led, who led the strategy on it. And we were just there going, or I should say he was there going, original is this gift because it, it, it describes so perfectly all the stuff that we've been talking about while we've been digging into this. And it talks to, you know, it talks to the originality of people and their meal times and their family dynamics or the way in which they eat it and the recipes they cook. And it became a perfect encapsulation of lots of, of lots of the things that we were trying to say. Tell, tell me more about that. Why? Why is? Tell me more about what that word "original" could unlock for you. Well, so as I was saying, we needed this to be credible and authentic, and we were trying to avoid. We were working really hard to avoid it feeling forced or tokenistic. And it's very easy. And I, you know, back to back to where we started this conversation. I say this as a as a white guy. It's very easy to get. Um, stuck in the cliches of, of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and, and some of the language that surrounds that. And we needed to go deeper than that. And what we found is that if, if, if mishandled, um, you know, the, 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 the tropes of inclusion and diversity can lead you to, to, to a place of kind of cliche or a place that, that you know, rings inauthentic or, or, or that can feel tokenistic. And actually, we found just simply the word original, we found incredibly helpful because everyone's original, whatever your ethnic background or your sexuality um, or, or any, any number of other things which in other, in, in, in other contexts may define you, actually, everyone has elements of originality. And, and that felt very inspiring to us as we, as we thought about how to execute this. And that, and my understanding is what's beautiful about that too, is the fact that that it mirrors 
the original ways that different people from different cultures from different parts of the world prepare their meals, right? Using this product. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, well, I mean, uh, you know, rice rice is, you know, the, the foundation of so many different cuisines around the world. There's rice present in so many different so many different cultures and so many different dishes, but but it's not as you know as as we know it's not used in a uniform way. So different di- you know different cuisines and different cultures use rice in different ways, but within those cultures and within those cuisines, different individuals use rice in different ways, and it becomes a great you know almost a great metaphor for diversity and originality um, in 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 the world. And you know just that 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 became really inspiring for us creatively what you wrote, which was genuine inclusivity comes with the recognition that we are all individuals. That's a beautiful line, in my opinion. Uh, Anya, do you, do you recall that? And what is, what does that mean? Or what, what did that, did that unlock it for you also? Yes. So I recall when we had a very (laughs) late evening meeting, uh, where they came uh, with the idea, the strategy behind it. And it was exactly that line that unlocked it for us, where, where we were, yes, they got it. They, are, they understand that that's the right way to go. That's what we want to be as a brand. Um, so that, that was literally, as I talked before, that was, that was a light bulb moment. And this was a light bulb moment where everybody in the meeting, we just looked at each other and we're like, yeah, that's it. Yeah, this is it, it. It's really, really powerful. So, so Oliver, how would you define the strategy that you recommend to the client for this campaign? How would you articulate it? Well, I mean, it, it starts. It starts very simply, inspired by the name. Um, you know, um, Ben's original. Um, there's a there's a kind of a platform thought around you know which which was inspired by the insight, which is that everyone's original. You know whatever their background, whatever. Love that. That's such a great, great platform. We we all have our elements of originality. And then what we wanted to do is we came to the execution is we wanted to root it in in rice and in the occasion. And so we got to this this creative thought and and, and Fabio, who was the the creative director, came up with this of we're all original recipes. And and that felt like a lovely lovely bridge between, you know, the rebrand, between between the, the platform that we developed and and that rice occasion, and it really spoke to that truth around the way that different people uh, cook rice differently, have different meal times, have different dynamics, have different relationships, and it, and it really spoke to that overall sense of originality. Yeah, I, I never because I because I love I love the the language you've used. I also want to read out another part of that creative idea. And Fabio, who, what's Fabio's last name, by the way? Fabio Abram. Uh, so for Fabio. Uh, absolutely amazing line. So he has, we're all original recipes. Then it also said underneath that, no matter who you are or where you're from, you're an original. That's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Where does creative start to go with this? Uh, And what were some of the early ideas? And we're always on this show, we're always fascinated with those sort of conversations around early ideas because early ideas don't always make it to be the finished idea, but they become sort of steps along a journey of a refinement. Sometimes they do. Sometimes the originals are the end. But how did it play out here, Oliver? Whether what were some of the early thoughts, and, and where did you ultimately then end up? So, so funnily enough, I mean, this this is actually one of those cases where we landed on the idea very early on. I mean, it's worth saying that we were moving at pace. We were under a lot of time pressure because 
you know, the, the, the rebrand had happened super fast and we and we needed to get out. But actually it, it it clicked, it clicked very early on. That thought of we're all original recipes, you know, came out and and Anya and, and Anya and the team were very receptive to it. And actually, you know, the executions really flowed from there. So this this idea of of showcasing the originality of, of of real family or real friendship groups grew very naturally out of that and actually we 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 moved fairly quickly into debating more executional nuances than than sort of bigger conceptual thoughts Oli is underplaying it i mean <laughs> they had 10 days from the brief to coming back with the final answer oh you you are <laughs> such a good client apparently <laughs> Yes, I'm a really good client. That's just before Easter. So I think I ruined all these Easter holidays. Um, but um, it, it's true. I mean, it, from the first moment, we, we, we really loved and fell, fell in love with it. But apart from fell, falling in love me as a person with it, we tested it as well. And we tested it with neuroscientists and it came back Um past with flying colors, which for us was the right um, uh, discussion then of immediately moving much more into execution because we, we we saw immediately we're onto something, we're onto something really strong. A lot of times, um, because the activist voice tends to be the loudest, there in research, there'll be separate research, even at the executional phase, um, there'll be separate research with the activist community and then the non-activist target audience to understand how they react separately to the creative executions. Uh, so my question is, did you do that or did you not separate out the activists? We, by, by the time we were testing creative executions, we weren't, we weren't pulling out the activists specifically. We, we felt confident that we had addressed their concerns with the with the work we did around the rebrand and 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 the, and the new brand purpose and by the time we were into testing creative we were focused on on rice buyers can you describe um one or two of the spots and then i want to drop them into the audio track here so we we, we wanted to showcase um originality in all its forms you know we wanted to showcase this idea that we're all original recipes so what we did was identified a, a, a number of different groupings, whether they be family groupings, whether they be friendship groupings, whether they be whether they be flatmates, uh, roommates, and we went out and we found real protagonists. So there aren't any actors in the campaign. We went out and we cast real families, real friendship groups, and we showcased. The, the, the things which made them original. So we we followed them as they prepared a meal, as they ate a meal. We captured the dynamics of, of, of them and their interactions with one another. And 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 we and we put it on screen. Every meal, every family, everyone. We all bring something different to the table because we're all original recipes. We cut them up in a few different ways. So, so we we created short executions with individual families, individual groupings, and we also created a kind of a longer, more anthemic film where we brought together lots of lots of different groupings. Three roommates. Two packs of Ben's Original Jasmine Rice. One, two, three social feeds. Three real-life BFFs. We're all Original Recipes. 
Was there um, anything that was really interesting in terms of the comms plan or certain specific uh, social channels or other channels that you used as part of the mix? One of the things that we did, which which was actually um, an experiment, which felt very pertinent to the strategy, was was signals based creative. So we wanted to we wanted to serve specific scenarios or specific protagonists or specific meal uh, meals and recipes to specific audiences that we think could be most relevant to. So what we did was we identified different audiences and, and a number of different meal moments. So for example, we identified um, flexitarians as, as an opportunity to talk to people. You know, we, we'd, we'd identified growing, you know, pe- people eating less meat, people becoming more flexitarian. We also identified kind of energy refuel for people on the go so we, we identified a bunch of moments and we and we tailored very specific social executions to those to those moments and those audiences and that proved to be really effective was there anything Anya that was done uh, within the sales organization or amongst distributors or retailers that was part of reinforcing the campaign in aisle or in store Yes, so there was a, every market obviously had their own in-store activations and in order to make sure that consumers taking them along onto the journey of the rebrand change. Um, so first amplifying there's change coming, then saying here is the change and then taking them to the new purpose. And um, it was very, very received, especially from retailers, uh, was very special very well received and very supportive on the journey that we are on. But I really want to stress, we are at the beginning of this journey. I mean, as you say, it's a great first step, I think, where we are, but there's still a lot of work for us to do. Do you feel that this has sort of diffused the vulnerability of the brand to, um, to backlash? Um, Have you got a sense of that? Are you tracking that as, as a, one of your KPIs? So we are not tracking it as a KPIs. I mean, there are KPIs that we are tracking, which make us very um, cautiously positive. I would say that we we did the right thing. So as I said before, household penetration increased 20% up, 40% uh, brand awareness is up, 229% increase of purchase intent. But for us also very important, 13% of the consumers think it's a more modern brand. And 8% think that the brand is more responsible and does good in society. So these are all KPIs that tell us, yes, we are moving into the right direction. And also with the actions of the purpose, like, for example, 18 million meals worldwide that we uh, donated and the 300 scholarship opportunities that we created in the last year. Um, So it really shows us we're moving the needle into the right direction, but there's much more uh, power we need to put behind to move the needle even further. So there's lots of potential. I mean, I you know we're we're in we're in FMCG CPG. You know, penetration is the holy grail. We're, you know, we're this is this is a category where Byron Sharp's principles very much hold true. And for an, for for a very well established brand to see a twenty percent increase in household penetration is phenomenal. So we're incredibly proud of that, and 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 that's definitely the the metric that we've that that, that we've focused on and celebrated. 
I think it's terrific work. I think um, I think the thread of how how the unlock made its way into the strategy and to the creative idea is just world class, and I I think it's just fantastically done. I really appreciate it. It's uh, Anya Spielman, global brand director at Mars in London, and Oliver Egan, uh, strategy partner at the End Partnership Worldwide out of London. Thank you both so much for your time this morning. I really do appreciate having you both on the show. Thank you. Thank you. And we'll see everybody on the next episode.